In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. For me too, having conversations, like all of these conversations help me see the world better. And sometimes I realize, man, I get a lot of heat sometimes. And I say stupid things sometimes. I don't mean to. You know, I don't mean to say dumb <laughs> We're things. We're live stream of consciousness. No, yeah, Do you know exactly. how hard that is? <laughs> That's I, not an easy animal, man. It really right, isn't. Right. Like, you know. <laughs> And, and on the same, while simultaneously trying to make a point, make a point, but, <laughs> but it always afterwards, it, I always find that there's something in that conversation that helps me see the world, at least from my point of view better, or, Hey, gosh, I was wrong right there. Ah, God, I'm glad I figured that out. Cause I, I would have kept going down that path. And you know, that, right. and that's what conversations are. They're a way for you to figure out the way you think for good, for bad, for right, for wrong. But when you get out there, whether it's a debate, whether it's a conversation, whether it's someone pushing back on your ideas or you taking a few moments to try and push back on your own ideas, I, I really think that that can help other people. And like that, that's the beauty of, of what, and the beauty is everybody can do it. You might get in a conversation with somebody and if you're having some public discourse, it's probably going to help you. Like I said, sometimes I, I can't tell you some of the some of the biggest help for me has being has been being wrong in front of other people. Like that's a sure. huge driver of yeah, understanding. You can't, you can't run away. You can't disappear. <laughs> you can't go anywhere, man. Yeah, all of a sudden you're the spotlight's on you, and you go, "Oh shit!" Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. That's oh boy, <laughs> here we yeah. go. Yeah. yeah, you know, you know, for me personally, I I learned my debating i don't do much debating these days but i i did a lot back in the day and but i did it all in bars you know <laughs> right. i'm traveling in these you know destination locations so you're ending up with lawyers and doctors and politicians and all of these people so all of a sudden you, 
some very interesting conversations erupt because these are not just people from one country. These are people from multiple countries, right? And so I, lear I learned a lot of my debate style by, you know, being in those types of situations where everybody's drinking, everybody's loud, yeah. everybody's heavily opinionated, everybody has something to say, everybody wants to be the center of attention and nobody wants to be wrong. Those are, that's a fun place. It's a really fun place because <laughs> yeah. that's where you, that's where you really get to hash out an idea. And if you don't understand your idea, you're really going to find out really fast. <laughs> yeah. It's a gift. I mean, you know, I, the problem with, with talking out ideas and bars is sometimes you get punched in the face. <laughs> never been, I've never been punched in the face because of an idea. I'm, 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 I, I have a silver tongue when it comes to like, hey, look, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. might have called you a mongoloid, but you're not a mongoloid. You can enunciate, right? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I've, I've, but I'm, I've, Every time I've been punched, I thought to myself later, I kind of deserve that. I was being a, I was being a dick. You How many what? times have you been punched? <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot. A lot. Hmm. I mean, maybe ten or twelve. I guess that's kind of a lot, right? That's kind of a lot. That's kind of a I lot. Think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, hmm. yeah. You're a kid, eh? I was just dumb, <laughs> you know, and I was small and dumb and. And uh, sometimes, sometimes I was right. And sometimes people are like, what, you think you're smart? And I'm like, yeah, oh, I, yeah. I kind of do. I do think that boom, get punched. <laughs> ah, was that, that wasn't very smart. You know, maybe I shouldn't have said that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's part of learning. I guess, I, I, I guess when I, I, when I was getting into a lot of that, I had just enough, just enough of that moxie to yeah. make it a funny situation or to 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 realize that I was about to get punched, so I should probably self-deprecate and make everybody laugh about me and take That's the smart. heat off of this dude who's looking yeah. pretty steamed. You yeah. know, so I, I developed that little that little nuance of, of of ability as well. I think kept me from being punched. Yeah, <laughs> I'll never forget one of the first fights I was in was in uh, I was probably like in third grade, and I like. I'm five six, like 135 pounds. So I was, I was always the smallest kid, and I everybody was a year older than me. It was back mm. when, you know, you know, I, I should have been, I should be one grade less, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, makes a big difference stature wise. Huge difference, especially huge difference. when testosterone starts to kick in for those boys. <laughs> yeah, and I remember in, uh, I think it was like third grade. I got in this for me and Paul Arandondo. We got in this fight. <laughs> And uh, it was me going up to him, and I was pushing him, pushing him, and he just picked me up and threw me down and punched me and punched me a couple of times. You know, it was like it was a kid fight. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember we we're sitting in the principal's office, and like the principal's like, "I'm gonna call your parents and send you boys home." And my dad comes and picks me up, and he's like, "What happened?" I'm like, "I got in a fight." He's like, "Did you win?" I'm like, "Nope." Mm -hmm. That was it. When I got yep. home, my mom's like, "What happened?" I'm like, "I got in a fight." Go well, through the whole emotional. <laughs> Well, she, she gave me some of the best advice I've ever gotten about. She goes, you know what, George, you're younger than all the boys in your school. You're not going to be a very big, you're going to be, you're a big man, but you're never going to be as strong and as tall as those boys physically. Mm -hmm. So you need to figure out how to win with your words because those boys are going to pound you. They're bigger. They're going to be, they're always going to be bigger. You're younger than them. You're smaller than them. You can't fight that way. You have to fight with your words, George. And I'll never forget that. 
And after that, like I started learning how to learn in riddles and learning jokes and learning to look at people and see the way they act and listen to their words. Cause I'm going to have to react faster than them with my mind than I am with my fist. Cause I'll always lose there. But it was, it was some of the best advice I've ever gotten in my life. Jokes are the bullied kid's best friend. Yeah. Yeah. If you can, if you can learn how to make a situation funny, you can yep. extract yourself from just about any situation in the world. That's a great point. <laughs> Unless you did something heinous, of course. Not a lot of joking yet, but right. You know, it, it, it's one thing. You know, if you can learn humor, and I think you can learn humor because humor is more about timing than it is, you know, just random raw talent, timing, yeah. and wit, right? Which wit yeah. can be wit can be expanded upon by you know multiple conversations, reading more, having a greater breadth of knowledge, and then you know humor is really about timing. It's about yeah. hitting that moment where everybody's you know has been quiet for five seconds because somebody might get punched, but then you point out somebody's massive zit that just grew out of their forehead. Like, oh my goodness, what yeah. is that? Is that a, <laughs> something land on you last night? And everybody looks at that kid and it erupts in the laughter. And all of a sudden, you're not getting punched in the face anymore. You're getting slapped on the back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah, that would be but that's something like how do you teach that? <laughs> I, that's a wild one. I don't think you teach that. I think that's just a you know that's just a, yeah almost an emergent aspect of society. <laughs> yeah. Well it, it comes out of necessity. It comes right. from not, you know, it's I always think of humor as anger's attractive sister because you know, when everybody's angry and all of a sudden this beautiful girl shows up, everyone is like, whoa, look at that. Mm -hmm. You know, and everybody forgets, you know, yeah, it's like it's that amazing. guy's attractive sister. Whoa. Hey, mm -hmm. what, are we what were we talking about again? Don't look you know, at my but sister. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It works on so many levels, man. But yeah, that's, that is something that, you know, adaptability and mm -hmm. you're either going to, you're either going to learn, you're going to learn eventually. You're either going to learn to fight, you're going to learn humor, or you're going to learn to withdraw and become a serial killer <laughs> one, well, one of those know, things they're all an interesting to the earlier part in our conversation i wanted to mention it you were talking about how words are associated with war and you know and yeah. things like that and you have you know like sun zoo's the art of war yeah you know and it, it touches much more on you know uh just like battle formations and tactics and things like that it very dives into psychology of humans yeah. And and, you know, when to do things, why to do things, what's impacting your opponents, you know, uh, you know, where are they weak? Where are they? Where's their guard down? Is their flank exposed? And these are these are ideas that, you know, they transition, you know, actually, I think almost even better off the battlefield, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to take social interactions, human interactions, uh, navigating tricky situations, especially. Yeah. Um, and that's one of my favorite books that I read as a younger man that really kind of, you know, allowed me to look at the world as in a different light. Yeah. I, one of my favorite quotes from that book is the best way to lose any war is to let the enemy dictate the field of battle, battle. you yep. know, and like how, how well does that translate into everyday life, Everything. everyday conversations? Everything. Yeah. yeah. If all of a sudden somebody's super angry and aggressive and you're letting them dictate angry and aggressive and you're not an angry, aggressive guy, guess what? Who's going to lose that war? Yeah. It'll be you. But if all That's of a sudden right. you can transition that battlefield to humorous and, and light and that angry guy is no longer on the battlefield, guess who won the war? You yeah. Know? 
Yeah. It's the same thing. Like I see it. I remember, you know, I work in a warehouse and the, the warehouse, the multinational corporation is a lot like an authoritarian regime. And mm -hmm. we know when the person up here is like, Hey man, I want to talk to you. You did this wrong. Hey, come and talk to me in the office. Well, that's your battlefield. Hey, mm -hmm. Hey everybody. My object is, Hey everybody gather around. I'm going to say something. And you got 40 guys circled around another guy. Guess who's winning that battle? Me. Mm -hmm. Hey, let me ask something. Why don't you have any integrity? Do you think what you're doing is right? Hey, how many guys here have been divorced? You know, <laughs> somebody that can speak well can change that crowd. And you can literally see the fear on people's faces when they're surrounded by a group of people like, oh, you think you're in charge? Watch this. Yeah, you know, that's the, the, the story of the authoritative or dictator throughout history, right? Yeah. You yeah. Know? You know, those people rise to power on ideas that are, right. you know, hard coded in the sand. <laughs> yep. And yep. then when people realize that it's sand and that they can actually just kind of brush it away, all of a sudden <laughs> it's like, ooh, well, there's some danger all of a sudden. Like, yep. <laughs> yeah. So what happens when you abuse people for a prolonged period of time on un via unjust means? I mean. Yeah. There's something so like powerful and beautiful and and i can't even think of a better word like you know when you see somebody in a that appears to be in a position of weakness but they know they're okay. gonna win you know and like mm -hmm. they're just toying with the person now like mm -hmm. but the other person doesn't quite know they're gonna lose yet but this other person's oh like, yeah oh, and so they're it. and so they're going full steam like yeah. they got it in the yeah. bag. It's it's yep. already a done deal. Yeah. And, and and but you're like, oh boy, that rug's about to be pulled. I'm watching yep. it. It's it, you know, it, it's like the little guy who's trained versus some big guy who's picking on him. And yeah. Or or like these days, you got all these nerdy kids who know Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And and you see this big, you know, like I saw a video, a big football player, you know, picking on this Brazilian jiu-jitsu kid, get the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> the, and and the kid was like no 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 until the yeah. guy smacked him in the back of the head and then he was like all right, <laughs> yeah, all right. There we I go. walk away <laughs> yeah it's 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 the same look and sort of like the knowing smile of the buddhist too that's just mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. well you know <laughs> it's it, you know it's uh, it, there's some quote about you know and, and it's been quoted many different ways, but the the premise is is that you know you you shouldn't you shouldn't fear non-aggressive people or you know you know you should fear the people who are who know how to be aggressive but have it in check. You know, there's and, and that's you know there's military quotes from it. There's a lot of different quotes about that, but it's essentially the same idea. Is like you know. If I understand violence, I know how violence applies and I know how to explicitly apply violence. Yeah. But yet violence is never my choice. I'm going to be the most powerful person in the situation, typically speaking. And, 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 you know, and that's not just violence in the physical sense of violence. It's also, you know, the, the, the verbal sparring. It's also all of that. Like if I know I can destroy somebody, that doesn't mean I humiliate them, right? It just means I make my point. And, and there's that type of um, nuance, I suppose you could say. I mean, it's not the word I want. But uh, that type of ability 
you know, that really defines great individuals from tyrants, really. Yeah. Yeah, I heard someone define meek like that. Like uh, someone who's meek is someone who is doesn't want to be in a fight, but they're more than capable of handling that fight. And when you take – if you use that definition of meek and apply it to the biblical structure of the right. meek shall inherit the earth. Right. Well, know? yeah, I think like the actual – the old translation was those who know how to uh, use their sword, but keep it cheap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. And then the meek shall inherit the earth. Uh, I was actually looking at that this morning, <laughs> 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 believe it or not. Um, Cause yeah. I've heard, uh, I heard Jordan Peterson talk on it and then it popped yep. up in, in like, he came up on a clip in a podcast and it talked on it again a few days ago. So yeah. I heard it like three times in the past week. And I was like, hmm, all right. <laughs> well, if I hear something three times in a week, I should probably take a, a little extra time for it. Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of like the universe speaking to you like, okay, mm -hmm. get ready. You know, don't yeah, be ready to attention. fight. But yeah. yeah, pay attention. Yeah, it reminds me of like there's this samurai Cohen where like this ancient samurai. I may have told this story before, but I'll tell it again because it's a good one. <laughs> there's this ancient samurai whose father has handed his there's and they have this sword it's been handed down from generation to generation and it's this most sacred tradition where the father gives his son this sword and in this sword is embodied the spirit of the family and on on the wrap it's been just handed down for generations and it's the most sacred thing to the samurai he serves the emperor he serves him well and protects him and his family and becomes a great samurai and he he embellishes all that a samurai is with integrity and, and you know all these great qualities of life and as he gets later in life he decides that he's going to seek out some questions that he's never had answers to so he asks the emperor for leave and he rides off on his horse to find the wisest man in the land and he rides off for three days and he finally finds this wise old man way out in the middle of his zen garden in the in the mountains <laughs> And he approaches the man and the man has his back to him and he waits there patiently. And finally, the old man, after some time, turns to him and he's like, what? Why? Why are you here? And the samurai says, I seek to know the gates of heaven and the gates of hell. And the old man just stares at him. And he sees he looks at him and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, you a man like you, a poor warrior who has spent his life in violence. You can never know either. You know, you come from a poor family. And look at this, look at this aluminum toy you carry with you. What sort of a man would carry a device like that? I bet the man who gave it to you was weaker than you. Any man who had that in his family was a horrible individual. What a disgusting piece of garbage that is. Just just unloads on this guy until the mm -hmm. samurai can't take it anymore. And he, he looks at his sword and he hears this old man just decrying his family and everything in him is boiling. And he grabs his sword and he begins to unsheath it. And the old man says, behold, the gates of hell. Mm -hmm. And the samurai <laughs> starts crying and he Damn puts it, it back. Nah. Oh, you got me. Oh. Yeah. And then he starts crying and puts it back because he forgives him. And he goes, behold, the gates of heaven. You know, and it's like, mm -hmm. oh man, you get it. That there's anger and there's there is turmoil and there is emotional, you know, just onslaught. Like there you go. But it's I think it brings well, us it, back to the meek. Yeah, and it, it also ties us back into the hero's journey too, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. And that's, 
And that's what we're all on, ultimately. We're all on our independent hero's journey. And, you know, understanding one's anger, understanding one's rage, understanding one's love, understanding, you know, one's emotional variability. You know, that is part of, you know, in my perspective, you know, the quest for myself. Um, I do a fairly decent job at it because I've been trying to do a fairly decent job at it for quite a long time. And yet there's still times and moments and situations and things that arise that would be like that challenge that. And, you know, this kind of ties in like stoicism and, you know, yeah. uh, you know, Rosicrucianism and in different Gnostic type uh, ideals and things. And, it, you know, just like it continues to tie into the greater conversation, all of these things have a, have a very interesting meaning. And there's a, and I think there's reasons that they consistently show up as themes throughout society. Um, and there's reasons why we talk about them like now, for instance. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, we're back to constructs and yes, know, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe the, maybe there's only one social construct and it's the one that we choose to see in our lives. And there's plenty you can choose well, from, but they're off the shelf. It seems like sometimes. Well, I'd say, I mean, I mean, ultimately, right. Uh, that's true at some level because the social construct I, I choose to participate in, whether that be, you know, directly or indirectly is still a personal choice, but I, you know, kind of is set and setting. You know, mm. I think there's, there's definitely social constructs that weigh upon us that limit our ability to make choices for our own personal uh, path through these, through, through life and through these social constructs. You know, one of those, for instance, is taxes, right? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty apparent, you know, yeah. for everything that I do in my life, some ambiguous entity gets a portion of it. Which, yeah, you can get into the context of what that is, for sure. And, you know, there's arguments to be made about and against. But at the end of the day, that is a reality of, of, of a yeah. construct that is weighing upon my ability to, to navigate the water's fly. And so yeah. I, I would argue that there are some that are just kind of imposed upon. And yes, maybe, maybe the removal of the constructs of impetus from society is something that would be beneficial to humanity that's well put yeah like what what do you think would happen if if they if all of a sudden you woke up tomorrow and there were no more taxes uh well i, I think the national government dissolves and <laughs> pretty short order because they're not paying paychecks they can't even afford to pay paychecks these days half the time <laughs> but they could just I mean, print you got, it right i mean well, they're just printing it now i guess but i mean if you print it if all then it just goes to zero technically from an econ <laughs> economist point right. of view the only thing that supports the value is the social construct mm. Right. So I think if all of a sudden taxes are gone, the the value of the dollar becomes much more fluid. Because now, you know, if I'm looking at it and, you know, there's now we're just talking taxes, but if taxes went away, I think it implies other things go away as well. 
Mm-hmm. But if let's just say taxes, let's just identify taxes. I think, you know, by and large, you're going to have celebrations across the globe. But then the erosion of nation states would cause the, you know, similar to how the United States was founded with tax without representation. All of a sudden, you're going to get a community of people who like in New York City be like, hey, how are we going to pay for, you know, all of the, the functions of this city? Well, we're going to have to tax the people. That's the only way to do it, right? Because we're not going to rely on philanthropy. Either that or cities fall into a state of decay. So I think quickly the it would, you know, a new tax system would arise, similar to how it did in this country when there was a revolution. You know, the idea was no taxes. All of a sudden, you know, fast forward 130 years and you have income tax for everybody on top of a litany of other taxes. And now most states have sales taxes. And, most, you know, it seems to be a pretty concurrent theme that in order to have some sort of larger conglomeration of society, there has been a need to tax the, the everybody in society to create that. Now that's an interesting, now that I say that out loud, that's an interesting aspect of what society is because can you have a society without that sort of tax? I don't know if you can. Well, I think you can up to a certain limit of of number Mm. because if here's, here's the thing, if, if we're all having a conversation, we all agree on where that money should be applied. Yeah then there's it's not a big deal yeah we're all right. putting into the pool but the second that that conversation uh doesn't incorporate the greater whole and now you're going to have derision and now you're going to have you know uh politics <laughs> yeah right i mean and i so think that's kind that, of what, yeah uh, well, well, it's I think like that, what? that's kind of what we see today right yeah i mean if it, it if we were to, if we were, you know, think about what a, it's kind of what a, a business is, a corporation is essentially, you have a whole bunch of people who are agreeing to tax themselves in the, in the, in the terms of time in order for a greater goal. So I, you know, I think, uh, so in there to extrapolate from that, it seems that, you know, in order for us to, to create some form of, you know, collective society, there has to be an agreed upon level of, of uh, compromise, right? I think it's kind of the fundamental axiom of that. Would it, is it fair to say that the only real difference in government is who decides? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because, I, I mean, if you look at it from a historical perspective, uh, just to, in terms of what each side, you know, supposedly supported or, you know, didn't support, those have gone full circle mm-hmm. uh, from a conservative to a liberal perspective in just about every Western country that I'm aware of. So, you know, in that context, yeah, it really doesn't matter, you know, who's in charge. They're just pulling, they're saying yes. Yeah, and it just so happened the only the only uh aspect of that that changes anything is time 
Yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, politics from what the Latin root was many blood sucking creatures, right? You know? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the Latin root of politics. I, that was a high school. I remember taking Latin in high school and that was one of the first lessons in Latin was politics, <laughs> blood sucking creatures is the translation. I was like, or many blood sucking creatures. Sorry. Um, it's so true. And it, and it's like, wow, well, that's pretty damn true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't understand why. I mean, I, I realize why this doesn't happen, but it seems to me it could happen. Like, why can't you vote where your tax dollars go to? Like, you vote on everything. Why don't you vote well, where your tax dollars thing. go? We, uh, we at originally it was because there was a, tech, a technological impetus, right? Because you know there was distance, there was communication. You know, Pony Express isn't good for deciding what needs to happen today. Um that technological situation has changed. And I think that may be an influencing factor on why we see a lot of people kind of now waking up to the reality that I'm not represented at all. You know, right. this whole system is kind of shammy. And especially when you start to factor in the monetary aspects of it. Um, and, and I think the, why there's that push is because there is a realization that, hey, I can send an email to anybody in the world and it gets there instantaneously. Why can't I vote yeah. on something that would impact me instantaneously? Right. Uh, and the aspect of why we haven't gone that direction as a nation can only be answered by greed yeah. um, and corruption, uh, you know, and you don't have to even look all that far back. Just look at the last election, right? Yeah. I mean, just look at, you have a proprietary company based in a foreign country that has uh, systems deployed that's transmitting data internationally before it's processed nationally. And, you know, from a technical guy who builds systems, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> How could that go wrong? <laughs> uh, a couple red flags here. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, you guys know this, uh, but this is all garbage. <laughs> a lot of hot garbage. <laughs> but, you know, everybody doesn't have that background. So I understand why, you know, there's the illusion that these systems need to be in place. Uh, and the people who are grifting on them, you know, they're, they're pretty good grifters. They got uh, a lot of money to, behind it. Yeah, because there's a lot of money behind it. So they've they, they've perfected the art of grifting pretty well to their credit. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that it's a grift. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, <laughs> we have the ability to have a, a right. one vote representation system. We don't have a will from the people who mm. are in positions of power and authority and control resources and money to make that a reality. Because that limits their ability to game the system. If it's all transparent, then there's no ability to manipulate the system. They make a lot of money manipulating the system. That's just the reality. And they, you know, I mean, they, how many how many times has every largest company in the world been charged with fraud? <laughs> I mean. Apple's paying a couple billion in Europe for, you know, you know, their battery situation. You got Pfizer who's paid out tens of billions of dollars for, yeah, we know it's going to fuck you up, but we're going to make more money anyway. So yeah. here you go. You got all these. So, yeah. What are we, you know, of course, these people are going to act in their self-interest. And that self-interest is not us having a transparent look into that process because then you can't hide the corruption. So, I mean, there's, you know, why it hasn't happened isn't 
you know, some grand mystery. Uh, but I think we do have the resources and technology and I think we're starting to gain the social will and the, uh, the wisdom and knowledge to say that, Hey, we should try to move down these pathways to get to the point where we do have a one vote, one person situation where everybody is represented because why shouldn't people be represented? Because if you look at the big grand picture, that's the real question. Well, if you can do this, why aren't you doing it? So why shouldn't people be represented individually? And the answer to those questions is, you know, there's no really good answer unless it's for my pocketbook or my my bottom line some way. Otherwise, why wouldn't you want everybody to be represented? Sometimes I wonder if a catalyst to change this might be to have a a some sort of like um like a blast of an email blast or some you know put a little bit of do a GoFundMe or gets raise some money to pay some influencers to get out on the internet something that says we the people would like to offer the white collar criminals our government officials a one-time opportunity for immunity. We would like you to take this. And here's, here's it's good until this day. And we're talking to the Pfizer CEOs. We'd like to it's give you immunity for one it's day. It's a beautiful idea. Problem is money buys guns. <laughs> they have all the money. Therefore, right. they have all the guns. And right. you can you can say we're going to offer you immunity or we're going to lynch you on a tree. However... <laughs> I'll they leave that have, part out. That's the quiet part. Well, you know, that's the that's the <laughs> implication, right? right? However, the the reality of that situation becomes, oh, that's great. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to call my BlackRock security team and go handle this. Right. My, right. you know, uh, so the, you know, these social these social constructs are they're limiting to our ability to manipulate the situation, and part of that's by design, right? Um, now I think where that, where that design breaks down is at a very local level and potentially a regional level, um, where a group of people, individuals get together and decide to be individuals and, but decide on a common cause. Uh, and, you know, I think the way to structure that in this day and age is to, you, you put it under a corporate structure because that's just the way the world kind of ran. Uh, and you have a very explicit business model that dictates people's rights and responsibilities in that system. You're essentially creating, yeah. you know, a meta nation inside of a nation. But if you, but that's the only infrastructure that we have uh, available to us as as a common person to kind of create our own dichotomy in the world. Otherwise, you're going to end up shot or in jail pretty quick. <laughs> right. That, yeah, that's I mean, that's essentially what Scientology and Mormonism did is like they just set up their parallel system of like, OK, we're a religion. We'll do this. Mm-hmm. And these people, we're all going to we're all coming together. We're all going to kick in our own money to our own little world. And, and the only reason those were allowed to survive is because they had enough people. Right. Because now all of a sudden to go against that, now you have, yeah, you could, you could call the police force, but what's the will of the police force or even like a, a you know, national guard versus a group of people who all agreed on yeah. their terms, on their definitions 
and have agreed that this is the way we're going to live our life. Well, there's, it's just a different, it's just a different uh, dichotomy, right? You know, the people yeah. who are defending their very ideals, their livelihood has always been shown historically to be the people who are going to fight tooth and nail harder and with more passion than their, than their opponent. So I think, you know, realizing that and from a democratic standpoint, you know, that's why there is the separation of, of the church and state, essentially, mm. is because I think there was a realization that you can't just tell the church what to do, because then the church is going to say, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, that happened in, in, in medieval right. England. There, there yeah, was it, 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 it has happened multiple times, yeah. and every time it's happened, a lot of people died, and it didn't end up for the people who were in power being so great. <laughs> right. So the, the answer seems to be to establish a parallel system right. without getting killed somehow. And that's yeah. – but like, and, and, and the power structures that B have – done their very best to make sure that no one else can do that. Like, okay, no more parallel systems. There's already too many, there's already too many of them. And so I, I guess maybe that's one of the things that being online has allowed people. You could even say that the metaverse is a parallel system and, and that's this new one that's trying to emerge and there's no rules there and they're trying to make them now because people can see how much money's in there. And it seems the parallel system is the answer, but it just becomes well, so abstract sometimes. It does. And I think the parallel system is the answer. I think, you know, every system is born from another system. Like mm, you don't, you don't create yeah. systems from scratch. Um, right. You know, even if, even if like a wildfire happens, for instance, that bursts an entire new ecosystem that would not have happened without that wildfire. So, yeah. you know, uh, the, the, the interconnect, interconnectedness of systems, uh, is one of those things where I think in order to change it, you do have to start a parallel system. Uh, and it's just, you know, and in this case, I think in the world that we inhabit in the Western world, I think it's, it simply comes down to, you need to create a better business model that can create in the marketplace. Mm. <clears throat> and if your business model can complete, compete in the marketplace, and yet you can still retain all of these ideals of community and society, that's the winning recipe. An inter ray. inter <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about this for a while. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, so w on the topic of that and parallel systems, when you came up with that, or even going forward thinking about that, do you research? It sounds like this is a yes, but let me just ask you anyway. Do you research the spinoff of parallel systems? Have you looked? at other parallel systems and how they're born, how new ecosystems work. And it seems like that would be a piece of the puzzle is to identify when they pop up, how they pop up and how they maintain being successful. So they usually pop up when there's a, 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 a level of, of stress in the current system. And, uh, <laughs> Hence, they <laughs> pop up right now. Essentially, yeah. is what happens. Right. This is kind of why I'm out here talking now, right. because in order to have that conversation, nobody's interested in a parallel uh, system or a parallel process if they're sitting and they have no struggles in life. If you know, yeah. they're you know, as yeah. far as all as far as they're concerned, they're living a great old hunky dory life, the American dream, or whatever. Right. What have you? Uh, the reality of the situation is now people have been rocked off that rocker, and they're looking around saying, "Hey." I didn't realize I built my house on a bed of sand here. 
what can I do? Um, and, and so now's the time for one for a system like that to emerge is because you need people's curiosity to be piqued. They need to be searching for other solutions. You can't sell somebody on something like this. They need to see it for themselves. Uh, it, it's an education problem and not a uh, not a publicity problem. Because people who are properly educated and who understand the dichotomies of things and what's happening, the systems in the world will look at it and say, hey, that's broken. That'll work. And it becomes, and it's not a choice. It's simply, it's simply an acknowledgement of a solution. Uh, and the ability for us to put ourselves in that position exists right now because now people are aware and are looking and searching for a different solution because they, you know, it, it's not working for everybody. It hasn't been for a long time, but you know, now after the past couple of years, a lot of people realize it's not working for them. So how do you, how does it go from like, when you talk about it, it's a dream, when you envision it, it's possible, but when you schedule it, it becomes real. So how do you take it from clearly we've talked about it. It's been envisioned. How do you take the next step? Like how do you schedule it and begin to do the actual work on it? How does that come well, about? I, I kind of taking the first steps on that. First you register it as, as a nonprofit business. You create a, a, an infrastructure around that. And then you start to bring it to the world and use, and you test that idea. And you refine that idea and you get other people's opinions like yourself and, and others. And, and you have these conversations and we refine the idea together because the, the whole point of this idea is it's not an individualistic thing. It's, it's something that, that raises all ships and raises all ships concurrently. Uh, you know, it's not like somebody's sitting, you know, on an island that's raising above the water which is kind of how everything's structured these days, if you, if you look at it from that metaphor. Uh, and so, you know, the, to make it a reality is just to have these conversations, to hash out the really nuances of it, the, the internal infrastructure of it. What happens when A happens? What happens when B happens? What happens when C happens? How do we handle X? Once those are agreed upon, once we agree upon our terms, <laughs> then we can then we can foment something together that becomes uh you know just like the united states was an experiment it becomes right. the terra libre experiment yeah yeah it's it's a, it's it's a something that can be the most liberating thing possible and it's so fascinating to me to think how something so liberating can only come from something so confining. Like the, the, the current system, like if I look at my life, like there's a lot of things I love about it, but the system around me has become so constrictive. I got to work 18 hours a day to keep my head above water to keep, mm -hmm. and you know, and, and it just seems like the harder you work, the more that gets taken from you. And, but it's mm -hmm. only, from this type of pressure can something new be born and it's it's just a weird thing to think about like and i do sometimes it makes my mind spin like crazy and i it gets out of control like well how can that be a, so roll it back to all of our conversations okay. yeah, yeah as above so below right <laughs> right all of these things move in waveforms all of them are ebbs and flows all of them have peaks and troughs all of these all all of these processes all of these metaphors we speak about all the, all of the analogies 
they're all a similar process, right? It's as above, so below. As we see these these processes come into play, we 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 see end results. We we see the ebb and the flow of the river as it trans uh, tr- uh, transgresses over the. That's not the word. <laughs> over traverses, the land. traverses. Traverses. Thank you. Uh, you know, we see we see the 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 ebb and the flow in society in all of the you know even the trends that we see in society we see yeah. this dichotomy always at, at play um this is just an extrapolation of that dichotomy it's just it's it's a it's the same principles being played out just in different scales in different times uh in different regions and you know we're we're in that state of transition and i think you know, much to, you know, the book we were quoting before, the average is 250 years for, <laughs> for an empire. We're, you know, 250 years, folks, <laughs> you know, we're four years away. Here from we that. are. You know, it's, you know, and, you know, it's an ebb and a flow. It's an ebb and a flow. You look at, you know, even things on a grander scale, like the Sahara, for instance, it's a desert now, but 5,000 years ago, it was a lush paradise. You know, the climate on this planet's an ebb and a flow. Um, you know, and yes, there are certain ways where you can impact ebbs and flows, but by and large, if you get into one of those too soon or too late, you're, it's going to be detrimental, kind of like trading on the stock market. If you're buying at the top and selling at the bottom, probably not going to stick around too long, right? But if you can manage to see that ebb and flow and you're buying at the bottom and selling at the top, you're raking in all of the profits that you need to continue to expand that enterprise. I get scared there because, man, being really early looks a lot like being really wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> Dude. And I, um, I have been really well, early and, and a lot of times case, and just left. Yeah, in often cases it is too. Right? Just because yeah. you're early doesn't mean you're right. <laughs> it's true, man. It's true. Yeah, uh, you know, sometimes early is right, but there's a lot of times it's not. How many, <laughs> uh, you know, how many MySpaces were there before MySpace? Yeah, you know, I remember GeoCities was essentially MySpace before, and Tripod, and all of these things. They were all those social media companies before they were social media companies, but they were just too early. They just didn't have the right technology, the right adoption. But all of a sudden, a MySpace rolls around, and they're doing pretty good. Then you have a Facebook rolls around, it's the exact same damn thing, just yeah. happened to be a little bit later in the cycle, and all of a sudden, Facebook wins the wins the game. It, so it's, it's like not always cool. the early wins it either. Just because you got it at the trough doesn't mean you're going to get it at the at, at the height, you know. Uh, so it, it, there's there's interesting dichotomy to pull away from all of the you know interactions and interplay between society and corporations and you know culture and, and constructs and how we how we interact with all of this and the interplay between all of those. Uh, but there seems to be a resounding overarching kind of premise and it is as above so below we can observe these processes play out at smaller levels and then extract our perspective and look out and say oh it's playing out on this level it's just you know a different scale of things and so you know us having this conversation for instance is us going up that height of the communication flow right you know i if we were to wanted to have this conversation 20 years ago, it was impossible. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, we could do it on the phone, but we couldn't have it like this, broadcast it to numerous people, have interaction, answer questions. We couldn't do all of that, but now we can. And at the fraction of a cost of what it would cost us to try and envision it 20 years ago, it'd be millions of dollars to try to pull this off 20 years ago. And now it's, you know, free if we did it the right way (laughs) or a couple bucks a month. Right. Right. Yeah, it it makes me think of the old maxim, the most powerful force in the world is an idea whose time has come. And like you pointed you pointed out, like you everyone's had these ideas. In fact, the idea is all even right now, the winning idea is all around us and people are doing it. And it's not necessarily who gets there first. It's it's I don't think there's another I, I guess you could say where opportunity meets preparation, but I'm not even sure if that's the right that says it all. I mean, there's something called luck or chemistry or there's, there's factors that we may not thoroughly understand that create that secret ingredient. I would agree. I think there's, there's a multitude of factors that go into it. Um, You know, and not the least of which is timing. Yeah. 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 Uh, Timing's everything can be. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where like I, I've, been working on this Terra Libre project idea for 15 years. When I first came up with it 15 years ago, I was all gung ho. I made t-shirts. I had people donating. I was going to have festivals. I was going to do all this <laughs> shit, right? And then the reality of that situation came and knocked me on in the face and said, "Hey, it's not the right time." You, you people, you know, I'm sitting there. I'm spending all my time trying to sell somebody on why their system is broken, as opposed to highlighting while while my system right. works better. Uh, and so I realized that, you know, it's not going to be the time until people realize that their system is broken and then they're looking for the solution that's better. And, and that goes to, you know, that's more than the Terra Libre project. That extends to my entrepreneurial efforts. And, you know, I think most, you know, business ideas, if we were to extrapolate to that as well, I think there's, you know, there's a time when the pet rock sold a million pet rocks. Yeah. You're not yeah. selling a pet rock today. It's not going <laughs> to happen. There's too much you know, stuff that has LED in it that sells for five bucks from China. You you know, so I think the time of the pet rock was perfect. The guy who decided he was probably, I don't know the story of it, but I would imagine he was, you know, like a bit of a gaff, a bit of a ha ha, look at this. I'm going to list this in a magazine, right? Let's see how many people buy a rock from me. All of a sudden the dude's a millionaire. Well, okay. (laughs) But, you know, so sometimes that timing is luck, right? You know, sometimes, you know, that timing does have components of other aspects of society. But so I think that recipe, while interesting, I bet you it's probably different over time. There's different weights to the the ingredients, I would say. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. I I think that guy lived in Baja, California, and I think a lot of people ended up wanting to kill him. For selling oh, really? rocks, <laughs> I think I read that. I, I could be misremembering that, but I, I, my, my daughter, I, we, uh, we do a lot of crafting and stuff. Well, she did a lot of crafting, and so we were at like Home Depot or something. She's like, Dad, I want to get these rocks, and they were like the river rocks. You know what I mean? Like, what do you do with them? Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm gonna paint faces on them. I'm like, all right, let's get them. <laughs> like, yeah, that was been done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on the way home, I started telling her. I was like, I'm like, you know, there was a guy that created the pet rock. She's like, a pet rock? Who's a pet rock? And so we looked it up, but I, I think I remember reading stories about that. Like he became incredibly famous with his packaging, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then, but I think that there were people that got so 
upset with him that they wanted to kill him. I should probably revisit that, but I could see You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, imagine imagine some dude who, you know, just went belly up in a business who, who, you know, had, it was massively complex, had tons of working parts, took so much to get it to where yeah. it was, and he still didn't make it, and this dude comes out and puts, sells rock. I could imagine, <laughs> I could imagine some resentment being born, you know, oh, like, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things. Yeah, there's there's some force of nature that's just slapping yeah, its knee like, watch <laughs> this. They gotta get some rocks. <laughs> and I guess you know, I I could honestly say when I was younger and wanted to be an inventor and wanted to be you know uh, respected for those types of things, I would get jealous and envious that people yeah. who came out with similar ideas. Yeah. In fact, uh, I remember the first one. And this was way back in the day. I was in second grade, and I had the bright idea. No, first grade. I was in first grade to pop open the back of an Elmer's marker and take that marker thing and put it in my glue and make colored glue. And I shit you not, it wasn't seven months after that, that Elmer's came out with colored glue as a product. And I felt so cheated. (laughs) I I felt so cheated as a kid. I was like, oh my goodness, they stole my idea. But I was making colored glue in first grade for everybody with markers, you know. (laughs) That's back when those markers came out of that thing, man. That was a long time, right? Yeah, it was a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I remember them, man. I remember them. Man, it's so, you know, and that just makes me think, like, it gets back to this concept that, the information and the ideas are there for everybody to harness or see or use or borrow. And it's, it's just, it's so odd how we feel the need to constrain, to wrap chains around those ideas. Like this is just mine now. Only I can have this and how profitable that can be and create the illusion or maybe even the, it can definitely make your life easier. If you can control an idea, no one else can. That's kind of a weird thing to think about. It is. It, it, it's, it's a really weird thing, especially when, like, you know, it, there is certainly something to be said about once an idea is alive in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, other people pick up on it, perceive it, or have similar ideas, something like that. You know, I mean, look at how many times gunpowder was invented, invented mm. right? You know, and it's really interesting to me is the ancient Greeks understood this to a different degree. You know, the whole the whole definition of the term discover is to uncover hidden mm. knowledge. Mm. Right. And so if you think about it from that perspective, you go, huh. <laughs> if all we're doing is just uncovering hidden knowledge, we're not creating anything, then who has ownership to it? Because if I'm just uncovering something, I didn't create it. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. However, the dichotomy that we have today in the world is if I came up with the idea, it's mine. You must pay me for it. Yeah. But if it's not mine, if I just came across it, yeah, I might have some possession to it at some level, but it's not mine. And I think there's a very interesting dichotomy at a just an internal level that develops when you have that type of perception. Uh, you know, it's kind of the similar idea of, you know, <clears throat> I, you know, we have this patent office thing yet the only reason that anybody could ever come up with an idea that would be patentable is because they stood on the the shoulders of all these giants in the past. Yeah. They're not getting paid for it, but yet you're reaping all the rewards. And then it even gets more egregious when you have shit like Disney who 
pushes out these things for like 75 years and all this stuff where they're just, you know, how many, how much money does Disney have? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's like, um, and they didn't invent cartoons. They didn't invent anything. They, right. they didn't invent mice. They didn't invent, <laughs> they just, they just uncovered the idea that I could put together, you know, this and people enjoyed it. They didn't do anything novel. They didn't bring anything that changed, revolutionized the world. And yet they're able to profit off it almost in per perpetuity, the way that they play this game. Uh, you know, where, where do we draw lines as a society on saying that, you know, what's, is that an acceptable behavior? Well, you know, this gets us back to the point of, you know, well, who's going to change the patent office at this point? You know, these systems are so ingrained that, you know, you, you can't, you can't, even if you were running for president and say, I'm getting rid of the patent office, everybody's going to spend all the money that has patents to make sure that you're not, you don't become president because that's how they make their money. So, you know, there's, we're, we're stuck in a lot of these institutionalized systems that we've, we've incorporated into our greater system. Uh, and I think, you know, it's one of those things. Again, it has to be to where people realize that this is the case before we can actually create some sort of parallel economy, parallel system that allows us to take the highlights, the good stuff of what we've learned, put it into the new experiment, and get rid of the parts that hold us back and drown us. Yeah. What in a parallel system are like, if you could reinvent the idea of the patent now, would, would that be mm -hmm. something that would, should do we need to reimagine what a patent is or a time frame on that? Or do we need to reimagine ownership and especially ownership of ideas? <sighs> That's a big question. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think the simple answer to that question is, yes, we do need to reimagine that. Um, I don't think it's something that's uh, wholly different than what exists today. But I think that there needs to be different processes um, to evaluate, you know, what gets part of what gets patented, mm. uh, you know, why a patent would remain a patent. Like, for instance. I could see something where if, you know, I, I created a, a, you know, a like, say, my book, okay, and somebody were to go out and, you know, print every single word and just change the title. Right. You know, that's an egregious misrepresentation of, of, of you know, my effort. So sh there should be some recourse there. Uh, at the same time, should I have the ability to say that if you took a paragraph from my book and extrapolated it into your own book, that I should be able to sue you for, you know, infringement on, on, on that paragraph. I think those things need to, you know, so again, this comes down to defining our terms. Um, you know, what as a society, what as what we'll call it a parallel system. What, a, what in our parallel system uh, do we define that? And I would say is foundational for society. And then what do we find define as something that, you know, uh, creates personal opportunities slash personal wealth. Uh, and, you know, there needs to be a conversation about what and it's going to be a case by case basis. 
you know, it, it can't just be a blanket all saying, you know, everything media is going to fall into personal wealth and, and everything, you know, in industry is going to fall into, you know, benefit for society because that's just not going to be the case all the time. Uh, at the same time, I think if you did this the right way, if you created the right parallel economy where instead of, uh, you know, individuals really rising to these, you know, Elon Musk heights and the focus of the business, the parallel system itself was to the focus on individual wealth and enabling individual wealth at every step of the, of the, of the way, I think you, you have a different dichotomy of, um, what, ha what what it ends up is, you know, what's mine? What? How do I benefit from it? If the whole system is benefit is set up for me to just benefit at, at an individual level, then I don't need to go expand my personal wealth. Right. If especially if that, and then you know, this comes into the idea of like things like NFTs too, uh, and stuff like this, and incorporating modern technology into a system like this, where you can say that, yeah, even if I do have this book no absolutes uh now i have an nft of it that you know and we can work it out that every time the book gets shipped or bought for instance i get a portion of the of the royalty so is that a fair arrangement sure you know so there's different arrangements that we can make with the technology that we have that allow the individual to be um uh, to be heightened over the you know the corporate entity yeah or you know or yeah. the, or the nation entity or have your what have you but i think once we focus on the individual once we enable the individual once you give the individual all of the ability and none of the roadblock the you know i think then you can have a real conversation about where is the actual value in a system like that how is that value derived uh who should benefit from that value uh, et cetera. Yeah. It's so weird to think that corporations have spent so much time trying to get personhood. And yet here we are as individuals, like why can't I, I, I think that that's really brilliant to have the individual rise above the corporate structure. Like in, in, well, in some ways it's, it's, it's just a meshing like, okay, yeah, now I'm going to get corporate personhood. I'm now I'm going to be a corporation as an individual, you know, mm -hmm. and, I guess for some sort of, you know, I, I don't thoroughly understand all the laws. Let me just put that up front. And I can understand why a corporation would want to have the right as a person, but have the protections to not lose everything. But why can't, maybe there's some sort of way for a person to, I, I don't know. I have to think about it more, but. Well, so, so that's kind of the idea of the Terra Libre project is usually, you know, if you were to look, if you were to just imagine a corporation, it looks like a pyramid, right? You got all the people at the top and it goes down like this. But if you look at like the Terra Libre project, the idea would be a network. And so it's all networked together, but then the nodes on the end of the networks, the individuals, that's where you would have the growth. And now if you think about this from, you know, just like a, like a, a biology perspective and things right. and the way that we see nature grow, you know, this is, this is fundamental to how, how nature behaves. And so to, to not try to mimic it and how we, we formulate our communities and society is, you know, nature has been doing it a little bit longer than us. We should probably take the hint. And, and I think 
when we do this, I think you will actually see that there will be greater wealth generated across the board. Uh, simply because you have, you know, if you know, you have one point that's making all the wealth versus a hundred nodes that are all growing and expanding. Well, the hundred nodes, as long as they're all right. networked properly, are going to form this massive network faster and more robustly than you would at just one point trying to disseminate down layer by layer. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, from a just a purely like physics and biology perspective, you know, I, I'm really a fan of mimicking nature in the systems yes. that I design. Uh, and I don't think that there's any drawback that I've seen when we do mimic nature's systems. Those are the systems that we hold to be kind of our most dear in society, really. Yeah, I, I think that you could argue that all of our language is pointing towards that. When we look at a crisis, when we look at a transformation, when you look at a system changing, awakening, like we becoming in is as crazy as some of the, the nonsense about climate change is, you know, it is making us more aware of the environment in which we live and opening our eyes to the system itself. And you know, I, I, I think sometimes even in the worst ideas, there are, salient points that are well sure. worthwhile to look at it well there's and a I, reason that people harp on those ideas and usually they are right. derived from some salient point yes uh, however butchered it may be at the end <laughs> at the end of the argument right or how about it was a great idea and someone just says okay the, and, and it gets just right back to where we were the idea <laughs> of people being to loving the environment and wanting to rally around that is phenomenal yeah of course everyone mm -hmm. loves the environment we should rally around that but then someone just went, okay, I'm taking that idea and I'm making it mine, you know, and then we're going to, Oh, we're and gonna... I'm going to make some money off of it, by yeah. the way. Yeah. yeah. And now you guys are all going to die unless you do what I say. Cause it's my idea now. And I'm in charge mm -hmm. of it. Like, mm -hmm. do you get out of here, man. But anyways, Benjamin, I, I feel like the conversation is just becoming more rewarding. And I, I, I would want to, I want to start going down this direction right here, but I got to go to work, man. But ah, I, brother. <laughs> I know, man, like I just it just started getting better and better and better. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. What about this? And so, uh, yeah, maybe um, I think maybe Sunday I'm going to try to rally up some other people. Maybe we can have a more even more dynamic conversation about what we're talking about now and, and get some other points of view that other nodes on the on the point. And I think it would help, man. So absolutely. I'll reach yeah. out to you here after after this and uh, get it all scheduled. But uh, thank you so much for today. Um, you can, everybody can see you on the website. Tell everybody again where they can find you and what you got coming up, and and then we'll go from there. Yeah, uh, BenjaminCGeorge.com is the website for all the links and information of everything. Uh, stay tuned for No Absolutes podcast proper coming probably towards the end of September with George as my first guest. And, uh, yeah, everybody have a wonderful rest of your week. All right, everybody. Thank you for spending time with us today, and – Thank you, John, for making some comments. And everybody else, I hope that you find this as rewarding as we do. And send us your ideas and thoughts, and we'll address them on here. And let us know if you want to join the podcast. That's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. Aloha.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.